Today we look at Luke chapter 8, verses 16 through 18. And this is the parable of the lamp. It's called many, numerous different things. Um, <clears throat> of course, I was not planning to see uh, all of my family this morning on uh, pictures in the sanctuary, which has just flooded my heart with memories. Uh, the first of which was um, my suspicions about why my wife had pictures spread out on the bedroom floor about a week and a half ago uh, came to fulfillment this morning. Because typically when she spreads those out, uh, I don't know about y'all's wives or, or how you are about family pictures, but whenever Angie does that, I just pretty much count her gone for several hours. Because she drags out all those family pictures, and I mean, it is memory lane for the next five, six, seven hours. Sometimes dragging into two days, I'm not kidding. But this particular time, it didn't, it didn't drag out quite that long. And I was just like, well, that was really strange. She didn't say one thing. She showed me one picture. She showed me a picture of me and my little brother with our BB guns and uh, leaning over, aiming at the whoever was shooting the, the, the picture, uh, aiming at them. Uh, and that was probably my mom, because she was just, she was wild and crazy. Uh, over my 67 Mustang that my dad gave me when I turned uh, 15. We get to drive, we were 15 back in Mississippi back in the day. And uh, that was the only one she showed me, so now I know what you were doing with those pictures. And the, um, now all of those pictures, uh, the one of my grandmother is actually in a small picture by our bedside, and the one of my mother and father uh, on their wedding day, that was, uh, that was one we discovered during the, uh, during the, uh, when the estate, when my mom died and we had to clean the estate out, we found that one. And then the other one um, with me, did y'all know that was me in that picture, the little fat chubby face down there? Uh, that was me. That one was one that my, I believe my uncle gave me back years ago when his wife May died. Somehow they had that picture. But the one that I have not looked at in quite some time uh, was the first one. Uh, that was my uh, maternal grandfather. And those of you that were here, because uh, there was a bunch of people that never came back after my call sermon, Amen. Um, a bunch of, I mean, I'm not kidding. There was like 150 people here that never came back. I don't know what they came for, but they came here and they heard me preach and never came back. But anyway, um, but, but that, that picture uh, reminded me of that sermon because that sermon, I, I used the, talking about you decide on this day whom you will serve, the God of your fathers back beyond the river or Yahweh God. Uh, because he was the towboat pioneer, he was the he was the millionaire. Not, and I don't don't get excited. All that's been gone for twenty years. Okay, there's no money, no money anywhere. Okay, uh, I wish there was, but there's not. Uh, but that that watch he had on in that picture was taken in a um, in in the office in a huge office that he built at the height of the towboat industry when he was like when things were really going great and he owned like twelve. 12 towboat vessels and had like 20-something barges of his own. Uh, he, had that, he had a professional photographer uh, called Gettings. I don't know who the dude is or who the woman is, G-E-T-T-I-N-G-S. They came in and took like professional pictures of my dad and, my, and my, uh, my grandfather and everybody, and that was that picture. I haven't seen that one in a while. Now, the reason why I'm going on and on about that, there's a point to it and it connects to the message, which hearing uh, Colton say that just resonated with me. Because this message about the lamp today, um, when I hear that term lamp, is there a specific lamp that comes to mind in your mind when you think about lamp? Like if you had a favorite lamp in your life, or am I the only one that had a favorite lamp? Anybody else have a favorite lamp? 
Thank you, thank you. Okay, a few of y'all did. Well, I had a favorite lamp when I was growing up. And it was the lamp that was in my, the den of the house. Now, y'all remember, most of y'all know, because I've told you probably 10,000 times, uh, those were my adopted parents. That's my adopted family. Uh, me and my brother and my sister, we were all three adopted from separate families at birth through the Volunteers of America back in the, in the late 60s and early 70s. And so we lived our whole life in Greenville, Mississippi. And I don't remember at what age I began to see it, but I began to, to recognize this beautiful kind of strange multi-level lamp. It started wide and then it got skinnier at the top. And it had this hard green shade around it, and it was dark wood. Now, as would have it, my wife didn't necessarily like the lamp, okay? But I love the lamp. And what's significant about that lamp and where it was positioned in my parents' den for all those years was that after that picture was taken of my grandfather, it was actually hung five feet from that lamp on the wall behind my dad's chair. So every day that we lived from probably the age of about, I would say, eight, nine years old until we closed out my mother's house in 2019, that lamp was on that table and that picture was on that wall. Now, I know that I probably see too much in the timing of certain things. But the fact that I'm preaching on this lamp today and the fact that that picture was shown here this morning, it it just gives me the chills. It literally gives me the chills. So, oh, one other thing. I would like to go into an emergency business meeting this morning and rid our lives of daylight savings times forever. Can I get a witness? We, we, We do this every year. We have a pretend mock business meeting just to feel better about ourselves, to do away with daylight savings times forever. All in favor, say aye. Okay, it's over. We don't ever have to worry about it again. We'll do the same thing next year. The parable of the sower is where we were last Sunday, past couple Sundays, and a lot of people have difficulty following the flow from what Jesus says in the parable of the sower to the, to the illustration, or some people call it a parable or a proverb, of the lamp. I, I, I personally believe it flows perfectly and makes complete total sense theologically, but, but many have have difficulty following this, and I don't know that I'm going to be able to explain any difficulties away from you, but I will tell you what I, what I believe that the text says, okay? So if we'll go back to the parable of the sower, I want to read the interpretation of what Jesus says, and, uh, and then we will go into the passages for today. So in your Bible, if you're in Luke chapter 8, go to verse 9, we'll breeze through verse 15, then we'll, then we'll hit those few, those, those souls of the heart, then we'll jump to the passage for today. And I, I told myself I was going to be merciful on you today and not, not keep you all day. But uh, I don't know if that's going to happen or not since you made me emotional today. Amen? Amen. <laughs> and when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they might not believe and be saved. The ones on the rock are those who, when they heard the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. 
And for that in the good soul, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with repentance. So Jesus teaches this parable, and then Jesus goes back and he interprets this parable so there is no, so there is no confusion uh, as to what he means by what he says. Now, I have, I have added, or not added, I have put some interpretive words here to kind of help us understand a little, bit, a little bit more clearly, theologically, what I believe Jesus is saying. Uh, the first type of heart we have is the hard heart, uh, the hard soul. And as I read this and as I study the Bible, uh, to me it is very clearly the heart that is closed off, that is closed to the truth of who Christ is and who God is. Uh, there's a lot of different reasons why people have hard hearts. Uh, I believe that, uh, that, that sometimes we are raised with wrong ideas about things and we are raised with wrong ideas about things and wrong traditions. When the truth comes, there's this battle inside of our heart. Or do we believe what we've always been taught or do we believe the truth? And that hardness sometimes will, call, will make us blind and not want to hear what the truth is. The Pharisees struggled from this through their entire ministry with the Lord Jesus. So that is, that is the, 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 closed, the closed heart. It's the, it's the same thing we see like in the Garden of Eden when the, when the enemy came and made Eve doubt. And she, what did she say? Or, or what did Satan say to her? He said, did God really what? Did God really say that? causing doubt in her mind about whether or not God truly said what he said. That's, that's the hard heart of the closed heart. Then we saw the emotional, or you, you, there's a multitude of ways that you could explain this, this, this quick and joyful reception of the gospel and then this falling away. Uh, you could call it the emotional heart. Somebody Here's a story, like me, seeing these pictures today of, of, my, of my family and conjuring up those memories. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? There's nothing wrong with that, being emotional about your family. But your family can't save you, amen? Your family can't save you. There's only one that can save you. And Mark's whole point, he started out with Hebrews chapter 12, talked about the cloud of witnesses. These are our family members that we know one day we will be reunited with again. But without Jesus, that would not be, be, be able to happen. The only way that happens is through Christ and Christ alone, period. So that's the emotional heart is to get all, all emotional about something but miss the main point. Miss the main point that there is only but one way someone can be saved and that is through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not through an emotional movement toward God. Again, there's nothing wrong with an emotional movement toward God as long as it is sincere based upon repentance and faith of God's word. And and a, and a conviction of the Holy Spirit. You could also call it the shallow heart, or, or a term that I like to use, the, the hyped up heart. Somebody's just all hyped up about Jesus, all excited about Jesus until something comes, a hardship comes on account of their faith, and then all of a sudden they think, well, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. This is not what I was told about the Christian faith. I don't want to have to be persecuted for the Christian faith. I don't want to have to lose friends because they don't believe in Jesus Christ and because they don't agree with me and my Christian faith. I don't want to go down that road. And so suddenly persecution comes on account of the word. And so what do they do? They fall away. 
And they say, this is not for me. At once, it sounded kind of good. I really like the idea of forgiveness of sin. I really like the idea of eternal life with Jesus Christ. I really like these ideas. But if this is going to cost me something, I don't think I'm on board with that. That's the shallow heart or the hyped up heart. And then we have the chasing heart. And the chasing heart was the one that the seed fell among thorns. And you have this, this heart that, that wants to believe and wants to follow Jesus, but yet all of these distractions get in the way. We want to be committed. We want to, to give to the church. We want to serve in the church. But I really like playing golf on Sundays. Amen? So I think I'm going to play golf instead of going to church. You know what, I really, I really want to do this, but I would, rather, I would rather go fishing on Sunday or fishing on Wednesday afternoon. You know, I, I really would like to be at church, but I think I'm going to go do this or do that. And over time, these other things distract us. These things we chase pull us away, pull us away from God. And Jesus says this, the, the effect this has on us spiritually is to choke out the spiritual power, and to choke out the growth and the maturity and the ability to produce fruit in our lives. Matthew and Luke both say that wealth has a tendency to do this. The deceitfulness of riches uh, tend to do this. Because we begin to believe that we are the ones that have done all this. I, you hear this term used in America all the time, he is a what? Self-made man or a self-made woman, right? Because they did it all. Well, no, they didn't do it all. They may think they did it all, but the only reason why we have what we have is because God has allowed us to have it. Never forget that. Never forget that. In Job, the Lord giveth, the Lord can what? See, boy, we can thunder that out, can't we? Because we know it's the truth. Exactly. So that is the, the, the chasing heart. And then finally, the producing heart, which that, that was in good soul, they, those who hearing the word, hold it fast, and an honest and good heart produce a harvest. So now that Christ has given us this, this incredible, in my mind, paradigmatic teaching on the parable of the sower that is found in all the Gospels and Acts, now he turns and gives us this, in, in a sense, I believe, an application of what he has said. Verse 16. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. Well, that doesn't sound nice, does it? No, but it's true. So notice verse 18. This is a key verse you need to circle or star or something. Therefore, consider carefully how you do what? Hear or listen. Be careful how you listen. So the key to understanding these three verses is the word listen or hear. We must listen to the word of God. Doesn't matter if you like it or not. Did y'all hear me? Because I can promise you there's going to be parts of the word of God that you absolutely do not like. In fact, there may be parts of the word of God that you absolutely detest because it cuts to the heart of maybe a sin that you struggle with. 
But the fact of the matter is, is that as believers, if we are going to produce fruit and be good soul, we must listen intently to the word of God. Period. End of story. Matthew 4, 4 says, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but, say it with me, every word that comes from the mouth of God. How many words? Every word. You know, you can tell when someone listens. Did you know that? Y'all, any of y'all got teenagers? I can tell when they're listening and when they're not. You know how I can tell? Because typically when they're listening, do you know what the reaction is 90% of the time? Rebellion, right? You try to tell them to do something, they rebel against it. That's how I know they're listening. Because when I tell them to do something, they get mad about it and start arguing with me. I know I've gotten their attention because they've listened to me. If they don't argue, I pretty much know they're sailing off in TikTok land or whatever they, do, they look at on their phones. I have no idea. We try to police that as good as we can. But if you have a method, please share it with your pastor and pastor's wife, please. We would love to be able, because short of a sledgehammer, I don't know what else to use, amen? I really don't. But you can tell when someone listens, and we see this every day in real time. We speak words to someone, and they either listen to what we say or they don't. And it's the exact same way with God, but it's much more important to listen to God's word and obey him than listen to man's word and obey man. So in this story, in this illustration, in this parable, everything depends on correct hearing. Jesus preaches the word of God and how the heart and mind receives it will be shown in the reaction or response to what is said. Either a hard heart, a rocky heart, a thorny heart, or good heart. There is nothing wrong. This is very, very important for you to understand. One scholar pointed this out. I hadn't thought about this. Okay? The blame is not being laid at the feet of the sower. You see that? That's not where the blame is being laid. The blame for the response is being laid on who? The hearer, the person who hears. So there is nothing wrong with the sowing, and that is where most of our mistakes today are made. Because most people, who do they want to blame if they don't understand the Word of God? The God or the preacher, exactly right. That is not what the word of God says. Unless that preacher is preaching false doctrine or unless he is not doing his labor in the word of God to bring you God's word rightly divided, the problem is not the preacher. The problem is the hearer. You're not bringing the proper attitude toward hearing the word of God or you're hearing something you don't like. Can I get a witness? Amen? You're hearing something you don't like. So if someone is running from the Bible being preached and the preacher is rightly dividing the word of truth, the issue is on the part of the listener, not the preacher. So seeing the light, the lamp, means being open and responsive to God's word. If the light or the lamp is hidden, it is because of the soil on which it falls, not because revelation is unavailable. Very, very fascinating truth to, to, to digest before you go into this teaching. So in this illustration, Christ uses an oil lamp. That's what he's using. 
It's most likely a very small clay container that held oil. It was lit and gave off about the same amount of light as a candle, as a modern-day candle would. But you could certainly uh, adapt this to the thought of the menorah and the tabernacle and the 24-hour, seven-day-a-week life that the lampstand would give off inside the tabernacle. It is, it is the same, it is a very similar idea. So let's look at verse 16. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. So light is meant to expose reality, right? Light is meant to expose reality. Now, the only lamps that the Hazard family owns that are in a closet or are in storage are lamps that are what? Broken or not being used. If they are in the house, they are plugged in, they are on top of a table, and they are used. Why is that? Because we need what in the house? Light. Light. We would be total fools, total fools, to have a house full of broken lamps that don't work. Can you amen that? We would be total fools to, to have a functioning lamp that plugs in and works and set it where? On the floor or under a bed or under a table or under a clay pot or anywhere else that, that conceals the light because then the function of that lamp no longer works. So an illuminated lamp is instead put on a stand so those who come in can see the light. Light exposes reality. So what is the light? God's what? Word. So no one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light because the light is meant to expose reality. Verse 17. That had to be the simplest point I've ever given. Amen? Can you amen that? Okay. Uh, verse 17, this one's not so simple, okay? Verse 17, for there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. God sees and knows everything. Let's say that again. God sees and knows what? Everything. There are no secrets kept from God, period. There's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. How many of you ever watch um, FBI cold case files? Oh, come on, there's gotta be more of y'all than that. I love those things. Well, the reason why I love those things is because I love watching these criminals that think that they have gotten away with murder 25 or 30 years ago, get caught. You love that? I love that. So now you know how this worked, right? They did not have DNA testing until about 1984, 85, 86. And I don't believe it came common practice across the board till about 10 years later in small rural areas and things like that. Only your federal agencies had access to it. So what you basically had was you had all of these murders and crimes and all of these other things that happened for decades and decades and decades. Then when DNA evidence started to be used, they went back 
and apply DNA evidence to all of the cases that they had, that they had evidence for, and they began to catch criminals right and left. And I say, praise God above that that's possible. But here's the thing. Could you imagine being that murderer or that criminal that thought they had gotten away with that crime for 20, 30, 40 years, and then all of a sudden the FBI show up at his or her apartment and say, you're under arrest for the murder of so-and-so back 25 years ago. I'm going to tell you what. That's exactly how God is with our sin. Some of us think that we've gotten away with some stuff. I'm going to tell you right now. There are no secrets with God. God sees everything and knows everything because he is God. Now, that truth is comforting and kind of scary all wrapped into one. We like the idea of the wicked of the earth finally getting what's coming to them, but let us not forget that we too, as God's people, everything we have done will be exposed as well. Do you know that? Typically, that's a real silent part of any message that, that a preacher ever preaches. We don't like that idea. We don't like that at all. This is most definitely the judgment of God being referred to here. Whatever has been believed and thought and done will be exposed. Exposed. Do we really think that the mean things that we do as believers will not be called out by God at judgment? Do we really believe that? I hear professing Christians say all the time, well, I'm forgiven for that. I don't have to worry about that. So you think that as a believer you can sin and do mean things to people without consequence? Do you believe that? If you do, you're grossly, you're, 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 you're grossly in error. You think as a believer you can cheat on your taxes, cheat on your spouse, lie to people, lie to God, rob God and God in tithes and offerings, not share the gospel, gossip about others, and that you will not be held accountable for those things? I don't think that's the God of the Bible. I'm sure it's some, some people's gods, but that's not the God of the Bible. Not the God of the Bible. You think you can support godless things such as gay marriage and abortion without consequence? Even in your own heart and mind, acquiescing to that? And you don't believe the God of the universe sees that and knows your thoughts and know that you're giving the nod to those types of things? And you don't believe that when you go before him, you're not going to hear about that? And it's not going to cost you something in judgment? Do you think you can try to destroy a church and its ministries through gossip and that you will not pay dire consequences when you meet God? You do that? You try to, you try to destroy a church through gossip and trying to, to, to run out strong gospel preachers that love the word of God? I can promise you, you will hear about it at the judgment seat of God if you're a believer. You will hear about it. And it will cost you at the judgment seat of God. Do you think blowing off church and Bible study and sitting on a church roll for decades with little to no real involvement goes unnoticed with God? Do you believe that? 
Something, something has happened in our churches, in our people. We had this idea that we can waltz through life being carnal and living any way we think we want to and acquiescing to any godless behavior or sin that anybody, that anybody is involved in and God is just going to ignore it when you go before him at judgment. You are out of your mind if you believe that. Out of your mind. And I've got scriptures I'm fixing to give you to prove what I'm saying. Because I know some of you, man, I can't, I can't wait. I'm, I'm, I'm dreaming up the email to send this pastor right now, right? I'm going to call him as soon as I get out of here and make a meeting with him Monday. Wouldn't tell you what. Why don't you take your time and get in the Bible and talk to him instead of trying to make my life miserable for preaching his word? Get in your Bible and study that instead of trying to convince me that you're right about something. Because I know I'm right about what I'm saying. Because I've studied it. Here's your passages. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. What's that talking about? The power of the word of God cutting and dividing and convicting the conscience of men and women of their sins. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, that's judgment day, Day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Your Bible may go so far to say evil. Now what I'm saying is, is that I'm saying is that as believers, we're not mean about these things. Now I preach with compassion and I get energized to appear in, in the spirit and fire because I'm gonna wake you up to where you hear these things and where they rattle you a little bit to leave this place and study and get real with God to wake us up. We're not supposed to be mean to these people that struggle with sin. I'm not saying that at all. You know me better than that. I don't mean that. I'm talking about you, we as believers cannot condone. We cannot condone and acquiesce the sins of others. My wife doesn't condone any sin I do. Can I get a witness? You think I hear about it when I do it? You better believe it. You think our children hear about it when they sin? You better believe they do. Because what, what has got us where we are as a nation is that attitude right there. What has got us where we are as a nation is acquiescing to every damnable practice that is out there in society and not taking a stand as Christians. And again, I don't mean being mean about it. That's the huge mistake we've made. We shouldn't be out there like, like um, 
whatever that church is that goes to funerals of, of homosexual military people with a sign that says, God hates fags. Are you kidding me? I mean, I, I have prayed that God would put one of those people in my life because I got a knuckle sandwich for them. I mean, that's horrible. I would never show up. I don't care what they believed. I wouldn't show up to a funeral with a sign like that. I'm going to work myself around. I'm going to hug them and love on them and tell them who I am and what I do and say, hey, if you ever want to talk about the, the king of the universe, Jesus Christ, I'm here to talk to you and love you and help you. But as believers, we cannot acquiesce and condone. One of my children struggles with their identity in the future. Okay, the vote's still, I don't know, my kids. I mean, I've got 18, a 16, a 13, and a, a how old is she? Seven. <laughs> I lose track. I mean, I'm not going to be my, like my dad, okay? Yeah, I mean, I loved him, and he was a great guy, and I loved him. But my dad said, son, if you, if you, if you turn gay, just leave home go somewhere else that's what he told me when I was when I was a teenager that's what he said I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie about that that's what he said but I know differently by the scriptures okay and if something happened to one of my children and they turn that direction you better believe I'm gonna love them I'm gonna pursue them I'm gonna pray for them but every opportunity I get you know what I'm gonna tell them son daughter you know that is not what the Bible teaches. You, you know that is not how God created you. This is, this, is, this is satanic influence, demonic influence upon your heart and mind. This is wrong, and you know that. It is against the created order. If we believe that this Bible is true, that, that, that can't exist. You struggle with it, I'm here for you, I will walk with you, I will love you, but I will never stop using this mouth and these hands to minister to you and tell you, please, Turn from your sins in repentance and turn back to God. That's what I'm talking about. And God knows what goes on in the silence of our minds and hearts because that's where it starts. It starts in the silence of our minds and hearts. And then you have the most powerful country in the free world buying into all these secularized, godless ideologies and it's just like a floodgate. It's like a floodgate. It, the, the term I believe that's used now is the, um, the zeitgeist, the spirit of the world, Paul, Paul talks about that. So back to the text, for there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. That means at judgment, all of this stuff, this message that I'm preaching right now, God, I will either, I will either, gain reward for my, from my Savior for preaching this way, or he may not be pleased with something I may say, and I don't, I, don't know, I don't know how that will play out, but I have gone to the text, I have done the best job I can in preaching this and comparing it to other texts and bring you what I believe is the truth of what God is trying to say here. And how that plays out, I don't know. I hope well, but our lives will be the exact same way, the exact same way. Finally, Obedience to the word of God is critical. Obedience to the word of God is critical. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. That's the verse that 
all scholars, myself included, I'm not saying I'm a scholar, I'm just saying that everyone that has, that has exegetically opened up this passage and looked at this and compared it in context, sandwiched in where it is in the text, everyone says that that verse right there, that's what God is trying to say. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Is Logan in here? Okay, good. I'm going to tell a story about him. <clears throat> Logan got a ticket not too long ago. The ticket was my fault. It was my fault. The tag was expired on, on, the, on the, the van, and he drove it. And, and it was during that time frame that they all told us where the police aren't going to give us tickets because the, the, the emissions laws are going to be repealed in January. You remember that? Remember that? Y'all don't remember that? I mean, I heard that. Okay. So, so I didn't do it. I didn't get it renewed. And, uh, and so anyway, his court date was last week. And so this was his first time to go to court, his first time. And I got to be honest with you, I was a little nervous because I hadn't been to court in a while. So, so we, I'm like, they know, you know. So you walk in, you walk in there, and we went in there and sat down. And everybody's kind of, you know, chit-chatting, and there was probably 100 people in there. And this was all the, the, the parents and children that have gotten tickets under 18. So we're all in there. And everybody's just kind of, you know, everybody's looking around, you know, doing this kind of stuff, you know. And all of a sudden, the, the door opens and all rise. You know what I mean? Boom! Everybody stood up. Just like God was fixing to come down or something, you know. They stood there. And then she, this little bitty blonde-headed lady, judge, she comes out and she sits down and she hits that gavel and she brings court to order. And you could hear a pin drop in that courtroom. And she laid it out, what was about to happen. And I don't know that I have ever seen a group of teenagers that quiet, listening that intently in my entire life. Because they knew, they knew that if they did not do exactly what that judge said to do when they came to that microphone, they knew that their rear end was going to be in hot water. And that they might not get to drive again. And how important is driving for teenagers? Very important. My point in telling you that story is, that is exactly, exactly how we should hear the word of God. And I'm not saying that I'm God, but I'm saying it doesn't matter who is in this pulpit preaching. It doesn't matter who is reading the scripture. As long as they are a sound, orthodox, apost in the apostolic witness, preaching and teaching the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, we should sit on the edge of our seat and treat it as if Christ himself were standing here preaching because this is Christ. So the word of God says, listen carefully Consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. So the idea on that last part is that those who respond spiritually to the word and receive it will continue to get more spiritual blessing and more spiritual blessing. And those who do not receive it and thus do not have it eventually lose Everything. Do y'all see that? That that that's hard to hear. That's hard to hear. 
But, but the Bible screams this throughout all of its pages, is that the way that you know that you're in the faith is not a one-time decision, walk the aisle and pray a prayer. That is not what we look for. What do we look for? What is God calling us to? A daily walk with him. Visible fruit today. And preferably a life that is more mature and more spiritual today than it was 10 years ago. You don't peek out and then go backwards. You start low and you grow in grace and in spiritual knowledge and wisdom and truth. Final passage. Psalm 119.105. You could probably say it in your sleep. Your word is a, for my feet, and a light on my path. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for the clarity in which you give us your truth, the power in which you come with your word. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit with us today in our hearts bearing witness Father, I pray that we understand that how we live matters. What we think matters. How we treat others matters. How we vote matters. Everything about our lives from the moment we get up in the morning to the time we go to bed at nighttime, everything we do, every day that we live is either a gain or a loss in your kingdom that day. So Father, I pray that when the time comes and our life goes before you at judgment as Christians, that we will be rewarded and told, well done, my faithful servant, enter into my glory. And Father, today, help us to make any changes that need to be made for that to happen. I understand. I, I, I am a gospel minister. I understand that we got friends and family members and people all in our lives that are involved in all types of different sinful lifestyles with all types of, of craziness, dear God. But that doesn't take away from the fact that you've called us to be salt and light in their lives. Help us not be a yes man to people in their sin, but to come alongside them and say, hey, you know, I used to, I, I used to be that way. I used to be walking in darkness. I used to struggle with, with sins in, in, that same, in that same way. But the Word of God, Christ, the Holy Spirit freed me from it. And He can free you if you'll but ask. Fall upon your knees in repentance and faith and call upon the Lord Jesus and He shall come and free you. Free you from sin and slavery and give you a life that is unlike anything you've ever known not of comfort and bliss, but within his presence, serving him and loving him and walking with him and giving you strength and giving you endurance so that you may live this life and live it abundantly in Christ and help change this world and bring light to those that so desperately need it. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand for a brief time of response?